Good evening. Testing one, two. Can you all hear me all right? All right. If you can't, you got let me know. But if you can, that's okay. It's good. I have one announcement that I need to make, and um, it pertains to uh, the family in Favens, uh, the Martinez family. We've been uh, announcing their needs, and uh, uh, Daniel Rodriguez, uh, one of our elders right up down here, is uh, going to be going uh, with uh, Sergio. They're, they'll be going to, uh, to the family tomorrow uh, down in Fabens, and they're going to leave here at 8 o'clock. But uh, if anyone can help them out uh, by uh, uh, whatever the help is, uh, Daniel said, if you can go tomorrow and help out in Fabens, Please see him afterwards. He's going to be in the foyer. Um, so that's the announcement. So if you, need, if you are able to uh, be a part of, of helping this family out, because uh, it's, it's one thing to gather together stuff that they need, but there, there are a lot of uh, greater needs as far as their, their house, their home, where they're living. And uh, there were a, a lot of donations given for materials and stuff, so they're going to be doing that, but uh, he does need to talk to you about that, so if you're able to go, uh, just uh, see, uh, meet with Daniel out in the foyer, okay? Daniel, raise your hand so everybody knows where you're, okay, there's Daniel. All right. Revelation chapter 15. I'm very confident we're going to finish this chapter tonight. As we've been going through this chapter the last couple of weeks, we, we've been seeing it as the prelude to the judgments of chapter 16 and following. And, and these judgments are called bowl judgments, like a bowl that you uh, would put some water or any kind of liquid in it that can be poured out. Um, the King James Version has the word as a vials, vile judgment. It's, it's, when you think of a vial, you think more of a bottle. And, uh, and the word is more in, in touch with the uh, lavers of the, that were used in the, uh, in the sacrifices at, at the tabernacle and the temple. So uh, it's, it's a little better to say bowl, and you'll see why in just a moment. <clears throat> but, you know, we've come to this point and it's interesting to me that, that the Lord will allow us the opportunity to rest <laughs> before more judgments. Because we've already dealt with the judgments of the first part of the tribulation period uh, from chapter 6 and following. Along with the fact that we have gone outside of chronology uh, to, to realize that, that uh, the intensity of the judgments grows. Uh, toward the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom in the, on the throne of David in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. So with all of these things in mind, of course, we know this is yet to come, but all the signs are pointing to these things happening. All the signs. Now, I'm going to make a few comments here when, once we read the text, but... 
I, I sometimes think that uh, people hearing this study, outside of those of you who trust and believe in the Word of God, would, would, would think that I would probably go out every day wearing those sandwich signs, you know, the end is near. But, but that's exactly what the Scripture says. And <clears throat> that's exactly what we're looking at in these last days. The end is near. What are you going to do about it? And what are people doing about it? And what's the church doing about it? And what are we doing about it? Because if all of these things are going to happen, if all of these things are going to come to pass, what are we to do until then? So, the first four verses dealt with the scene in heaven again and a song that is sung. A song that had two names to it. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. But it was all about the fact that God is great and marvelous in all that he does. Which means that even in judgment, God is great and marvelous And even in the judgments that he brings forth, he's great and marvelous. We like to give God all the honor and glory for being mercy and grace, (laughs) for being love. But because he is completely God and in control of all things, and has been merciful and has been gracious, And yet when he says, but a time is coming to judge, we have to exalt him for even his judgments. Can you all understand that? This is what the scriptures teach us about the great God that we serve. So we come to verse 5 now of our text. And it says, after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now, again, a song has been sung, and then this happens. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, which is a tremendously interesting statement, the temple of the tabernacle. Because normally we teach there's a tabernacle and then there's a temple. But this is the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. The temple is something that is very permanent. The tabernacle is always something that was moving, temporary, something you could carry with you, take along with you. So it's just an interesting statement. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now that, well, what's more important is not so much the temple of the tabernacle, but the fact that the uh, tabernacle of, of the testimony was open. The testimony is also the witness. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And as I said, I wanted to make this statement. I oftentimes wonder... If people understand me, 
when I speak so much about the end times and the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the events that we are see or that we see taking place in our day and time that reflect the amazing accuracy of the prophetic scriptures and especially the coming judgments which are to occur during the time of the tribulation as presented to us specifically in the book of Revelation. Well, it doesn't bother me uh, that some may consider me crazy or a little off balance mentally to emphasize the nearness of these events to our time. Right here, this is when you picture me in one of those sandwich things, you know. The end is near. It doesn't bother me. Because I trust that the Word of God is true. And I trust that everything that God has said is going to happen is going to happen because everything he said would happen did happen. So he's right on. He's right on target. He's 100% accurate in every prophecy he's given. So he will be 100% accurate in every every prophecy we're studying now. So all of that doesn't bother me. What does bother me a little bit, or if, if not a lot is that some people don't consider God's clear warnings that these things will indeed occur and that He is at the center of these judgments. Two things, very important. And, and the fact is that some people, even in the church today, don't consider God's clear warnings. I don't know what they're thinking, but they're not looking at this as if this is really going to happen. And the other thing is that God is at the very center of these judgments. Because somehow the world, the flesh and the devil, has kind of got into some minds that say to, uh, to them, how could a God, how could a good God do these things? How could a God be a judge? Well, he can be because he's perfect and we're not. But he's more than a judge, isn't he? We just said that he's holy, righteous, just, true, gracious, merciful. And the Bible makes those things clear time and time and time and time again. Long-suffering, our God is. So first of all, let's understand that the Lord certainly knows when to commence judgment. He knows when to begin judgment, and he knows when to bring judgment to an end. God is that good at what he does. He knows when to begin judgment, and He knows when to end judgment. Do you know that in the decisions that we as, as, as human beings have to make, sometimes we have to consider long and strong and hard when we make a certain judgment because we, we're trying to weigh whether we say things at the right time or not. Right? Sometimes we're right and sometimes we're not. And sometimes we have to think about when we should end certain things that we do. If we carry them too long, then we're going to be considered one way. If we don't carry long enough, we'll be considered a different way. But with God, He knows when to begin and when to end. You see, and there's never any problem with that because He is God. Secondly, we should be assured of God's long-suffering and patience to bring as many lost people to salvation before the judgment begins. This is something we need to know about God. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That should give us a lot of hope. That should give us a lot of encouragement. 
that God knows what he's doing and when he's going to need to do what he's got to do when it comes to the end times. But when that judgment has to happen, you see, when it has to happen, it's going to happen. And when that judgment is to be completed and finished and ended, you can be assured it will be completed, finished, and ended. And that's because from beginning to end, the Lord is in complete control of all. And He's in complete control in all situations. We need to know that. At least we need to be re-encouraged all the time. Because it's easy to put some of these things on the back burner of our minds and not realize that everything that we see happening today, God has already seen it. And in some way, sees all things in light of His judgments. Many of you have been watching the Olympics, Winter Olympics. We don't know much about winter, so we watch it so we can see snow. <laughs> and ice and all kinds of other stuff. And we enjoy it. We cheer on the U.S. of A. and all of that. But isn't it interesting that games of this n- nature are humanistic? They have no desire to have God in the middle of it all. It's man's a- Uh, achievements. It's man's uh, persistence. It's man who is the hero. Not God. That's worldly thinking. The Lord said that in the end times this is how man will be. You notice all the commercials? A lot of them are, you know, following the same pattern of saying, you know, well, listen, you know, the uh, uh, the achievements of man and, 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 and the persistence of man and, and so on and so forth. So buy this car. <laughs> or drink Coke. Because back in the 60s, if you drank Coke, you know, you, were, you would like to see the world to sing and in perfect harmony. You know. It's all about the world getting better. And yet, in Russia, where the Winter Olympics are being held, there's this tremendous little battle going on in the Ukraine, in Kiev. 26 people have died, probably more. There have been revolts. It's not a perfect world. It's not ever going to get better because man has achieved. Or man has sought to achieve outside of the power and wisdom and knowledge of God. You see, I want you to look at something in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. You must be thinking, when are we getting to Revelation 15? Pretty soon. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. Notice this is God speaking. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and, the, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God has seen the beginning from the end, and the end from the beginning. His counsel will stand. Whatever He says goes. And He will do all His pleasure. 
You go back to the other passage in, in Second Peter. And it says he desires that none should perish. He does not look forward to the judgments from the standpoint of, of destroying people. But his counsel will stand. He's given ample opportunities for people to know Christ, for people to know his word, for people to know him, for people to honor him and to worship him. Because, you know, we were actually created to worship God. But man fell away. Man chose to uh, disobey. Man chose to rebel. And even though it wasn't man who brought sin into the garden, it was man who chose to follow it. But God made a way because God always makes a way. And God said, I will send the seed of the woman, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, part of his plan because he knew the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end and gave us the opportunity to know Christ. The angels that we see in our text here in Revelation 15, they will do God's bidding during the time of the great tribulation at exactly the right time and the right places and exactly how he wants things done. And there is no question to this. These angels are very important to our understanding the next few chapters. So there, we're going to be looking at preparing the bold judgments. Now let's go back to verses 5 and 6. After these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. What is this temple of the tabernacle of testimony or the tabernacle of witness? Well, keep in mind, if you will, a couple of things. First of all, keep in mind that the earthly tabernacle which God told Moses to build while in the wilderness was based on a heavenly pattern. It was based on a heavenly pattern. In Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, we're told, let them make me, and this is God speaking to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So now we, we have an idea from this particular verse what God wanted. He wanted a sanctuary, a place where he could be among his own people. And then it says, according to all that I show you, notice everything that God shows Moses is the way he's supposed to make this sanctuary. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, furnishings just so you shall make it. In other words, God is giving Moses the pattern. Where did the pattern come from? It came from where God is from. Heaven, right? It came from where God was and is. So we know it's a heavenly pattern. When you read the book of Hebrews, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch upon this a couple of times along our study today, uh, we're going to see that it's a heavenly pattern. Secondly, keep in mind that the earthly tabernacle stood as a witness 
That's why it's called the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony or witness. Because it stood as a witness to man and against man. Now I want you to understand what I mean. It stood as a witness to man and a witness against man. In other words, it was a witness to man that it provided direction to him that he could approach God at the time, of course, through animal sacrifices. He could approach God through these sacrifices. So everything that was, was, uh, was given from the heavenly pattern was given for the earthly pattern. And the earthly tabernacle, I should say. So everything that we read that God tells them to make is to be made with a purpose. And, and that, of course, was that they could then approach God with these sacrifices. But it was also a witness against man in that man could never approach God on his own efforts. Man could never approach God on his own efforts. You know what's sad is today? People are still trying to approach God not only on their own efforts, but under their own terms. We can't do that. The Bible says that God is holy and He needs to be approached a certain way. And so understand that the animal sacrifices themselves could never take away their sins and that was a constant reminder of their condition. So when He said, do these things, it's a pattern on earth of something that's greater in heaven. The blood is to remind you, though, that you just can't come to me your way. And eventually, of course, Messiah would be born, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, the one who would be able to have blood pure enough because of his sinless life, to die for the sins of men. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 9 we're told this. And you want to keep your fingers in Hebrews 9. We'll be right back for it. But uh, Hebrews 9 verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest, which is just one of the things that Jesus was when he came, because he not only came as high priest, but he also came as the sacrifice. And he also came as the altar of sacrifice, which of course was on the cross. But we'll talk about that later. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, which is the heavenly tabernacle. Verse 12, it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And again, the sacrifices 
were effective only to a certain point because they only went so far, right? They had to be offered all the time. And in a moment, we'll talk about the offering once a year. Why is all of this important? Well, no longer is it a physical structure that is a witness to us or against us, but the living God Himself. He's the witness to man and against man. You'll now see the importance of Jesus' statement in John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see the connection here? See? Okay, you see the connection? This isn't just a standalone verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's connected to what he came to do and with what he came to do, which was come to give himself the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And it would be his own blood that would be effective upon all who believe in Christ. And once for all. Not constantly, year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice. One sacrifice for all. Thus, to approach the Father, you must go through Jesus Christ, receiving forgiveness of sins by His shed blood. He is a witness to us, pointing the way to the Father, which is through Him. But He is also a witness against us, for we cannot approach God by any other means except through Him. You see that now? A witness for us and a witness against us. And so as the tabernacle was a place of either mercy or judgment, so is Christ for us. The person before which we obtain His mercy or eventually stand before Him to face the consequential judgment of our rejection of His mercy and of His truth. You see the critical nature of all of this? The necessity to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ before that great day of judgment. If you've stayed in Hebrews chapter 9, look at verses 23 and 24. It says, therefore it was necessary. It was necessary. Necessary. Can't emphasize that word enough. It was necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. He has entered into the true place. For us. You see the difference now. And the importance of this. It's also of interest to me that after the tribulation saints worship the Lord, as we, we've seen here in the in, in, in the past in the in the previous uh, four verses. After the tribulation saints worship the Lord, the temple or inner court is open. Look at verse five again. After these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. 
They sang, and the temple was open. I want you to remember the words of Jesus to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Because there's a connection to this as well. Look at what, what Jesus said to her. He said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. But notice the next verse. He says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Because when that happens, the heavens are open to us. When we worship in spirit and in truth, we actually can come boldly into the throne of his grace to obtain mercies and to find grace for help in time of need. By the way, that's also from the book of Hebrews. But God is seeking those who will worship him. God is desiring our worship. God is deserving of our worship. And, as I said earlier, we are created to worship him. We were created to worship the God who made us in His image. And as we worship Him, the more, and the more we worship Him, He reveals more and more of Himself to us, so much so that the temple is open to us. You see the picture. Worship opens the temple. Worship opens the temple. Now next, take note that the angel's appearance symbolizes the spotlessness and the purity from which the wrath of God is poured out upon this world. Now we're now let's get a little deeper into this passage. Verse 6 again. Out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues. Now notice, they have the plagues with them. Clothed in pure bright linen. That's what you need to note here. Clothed in pure white linen, or pure bright linen, I should say, which was probably white anyway, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Okay, so now you see the picture here. As a matter of fact, you go back to the picture we, we opened up with, and you know they, they, they kind of look, you know, they got these. Well, there's, there's a reason for that. Because as John is giving this vision and writing it down, there is, this is a scene that is not unfamiliar to a first century Jewish person. This is not unfamiliar to them. The pure bright linen and a golden band across their chest. Although the golden band, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the, but the, the robe of white linen or bright linen? How would they know this? Because once a year, once a year, out of the smoke of the holy place in the temple of Jerusalem, the high priest would emerge with blood from a bowl, which would be applied to various objects. This was the day called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day of covering. Kippur 
it's the same. It's, it's, it's from the same root word uh, that, uh, together with the, the the Hebrew word for the for the skull cap. The kippah, kippur, covering. Yamaka, by the way, is is Yiddish. It's not Hebrew. The kippah. But it's Yom Kippur, the year or the day, I should say, of atonement. Now, a covering was made for the sins of the previous year. And the atonement consisted of blood sacrifice of an innocent animal. All of the events of that day were meant to point the people and us to Jesus. To Jesus the Messiah. Who not only paid for our sin as the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but in so doing, He satisfied the demands of holy justice that wrong might be paid for. Now I could go on for a long time talking about the Day of, uh, of uh, Atonement, the uh, Day of Yom Kippur, and connect it to what we see in these four verses in Revelation. Uh, we, we, could, we could spend another hour just talking about all the connections. So I just wanted to kind of briefly touch on it. But now we see these angels, see? Angels dressed like priests. That's the first picture you have to understand. These are angels that are dressed like priests, exiting the temple against the backdrop of smoke and carrying bowls, not with blood so much as with plagues, which they already had. But now they have, they, they're given the bowls, as, as you'll see in just a moment. But the, they have the plagues that are to be poured out on the people of the earth who are without Jesus as their Savior and their substitute. Because that's how these bowls are going to be poured out and when these bowls are going to be poured out and where these bowls are going to be poured out and upon whom these bowls are going to be poured out. And while the high priest did not wear his elaborate chest piece on Yom Kippur... And that was a thing I want you to notice. They didn't wear it because, and there's a reason, they didn't wear it because the priests also needed atonement for their sins. The angels had their chest girded with golden bands. It is a tremendous effect the blood of Christ has on believers. It is a tremendous effect the blood of Christ has on those who believe in Jesus. These angels, faithful to serve God in heaven for centuries, created to do that, The more they worship, the more they serve, the more they become like Him. In a sense. They can't be Him. But think about that same thought. That the more time that you spend with Jesus, 
The more time you spend with the Lord, the more you begin to look like him and reflect his character and reflect his nature. Because we're not talking about the outward. We're talking about the heart. Significant that we sang that song inside out. I got to tell you something. We didn't plan on singing that song tonight. It happened because we didn't have a drummer tonight, and and uh, we weren't getting we were staying together with that last song we were doing, and so we were like. So Sean went straight to that song, and I said, "Lord, that's for us." to realize that you change us from the inside out so that we can, on the outside, reflect the character of Christ that's on the inside. Because the priestly garb, folks, of the believer is not outward. Aren't you glad that when you came to this church, nobody told you, okay, now that you're a member of Calvary Chapel and now you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to wear this. That's a white robe made out of sackcloth or something. (laughs) I wouldn't wear it either, man. Itchy. All over. Don't do that. It's not about that. It's about the heart. It's about changing to see Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the people see you, but they see Jesus. That's why our words are so important. That's why our actions are so important. Not only in the world, but how about in our homes? How about in our jobs, at our schools, wherever we are? Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, listen to what Paul says. He says, do this, knowing the time. Knowing the time. Uh, do we know the time? I'm not talking about like 8.15. I'm, I'm, do we know the times in which we're living in? He says, do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Ladies, you're going to have a blessing in a, in a few weeks when you go to women's retreat and talk about the armor of God. Well, I wish we could go with you. But you throw us out. Us guys, anyway. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on, notice that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase there talks about what you put on like a garment. And where? And it begins by putting the Lord Jesus Christ on your heart. And make no provision for the flesh. Don't give the flesh anything, any opportunity to fulfill its lusts. Well, getting back to our text, because we don't have, I just noticed, I said, you know, don't think about the time, 8.15. I said, well, well, I have to think about it now because we're running late here. But getting back to our text, we're given a description now of the mediators of God's wrath as well as a description of the manifestation of God's wrath. So we've got to go to verses 7 and 8 for that. It says, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls 
full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So there's an interesting juxtaposition here because they already had the seven plagues, but now they have the bowls filled with God's wrath. So somehow, you know, these are all to be put into this bowl for the very sake of pouring out this this wrath. And as we're going to find out when we get to chapter 16, man, those judgments just come like, like rapid fire. You know, it's taken us this long to get through what we've seen so far in the book of Revelation. But now when we see these bold judgments get uh, 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 presented, I mean, they're, they're, they come pretty quickly. So anyway, the, the one of the four living creatures gave these uh, seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. God who lives forever and ever is able then to execute judgment upon whomever he chooses, which is, of course, those who have rejected the grace and the mercy, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The temple was filled. Now notice this. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So they couldn't go halfway. They couldn't do a, you know, a halfway job. They had to complete the whole thing. This was a project they could not leave undone. They had to finish it. The mediators are the four living creatures, by the way. The mediators are the four living creatures, one of whom acts on behalf of the rest. One acts on behalf of the rest. These would be the same as the cherubim of chapters 5 and 6 who were active in announcing the first four sealed judgments. If you remember this, Go back to Revelation 6.1. We'll go this, uh, through this quickly. Revelation 6.1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, or with, I'm sorry, with a voice like thunder, come and see. You know, the letters are so big, and I still, with these glasses, I can't see. So, saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Go down to verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see, that's Revelation 6, verse 5. Uh, verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creature, of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. So, uh, verses 7 and 8 of our text now, chapter 15, signify then the final step of preparation just prior to the act of judgment. And again, I just find it interesting, you know, that the four living creatures are, 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 the, are the mediators of this, this particular judgment. They were there for the seals. It's implied that they were there for the trumpets, though they're not mentioned nonetheless. And then, of course, here for the bowls. The word vile, as I said earlier, in the King James or, or bowl denotes a shallow vessel used for either drinking or pouring libations and sacrifice. The contents of this type of bowl or vessel were easily and quickly and completely poured out. So it could have been in a bottle because usually with a bottle you have to wait for it to look, 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 look. But with the pouring out of a bowl, you know, just kind of, that's it. And again, as I said, the bowl judgments are going out in rapid fire succession. As we look at the temple in heaven, what do we see? As you look at the temple in heaven, it is filled with the glory of God. Now, this is, the, this is the manifestation of His wrath. We can see God's power 
being displayed before us. Now a lot of people use the word Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, there, there is a word, there's a Hebrew word, Shekinah, that, uh, that they use, but the, the word Shekinah is, is not the, the biblical term. Uh, it was rabbinic, I think, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, the, the, uh, the uh, origin of the word Shekinah. It's the way pronounced. We, we pronounce it in English, Shekinah glory. Uh, the Shekinah is, is Hebrew, but it's, it's, it's not the biblical word. The biblical word is Kavod. Kavod, K-A-V-O-D, if you want to write the transliteration. Kavod, glory, or C-H-A-V-O-D. Kavod, glory of God. The Kavod, Kavod is biblical. That is speaking of this brightness, the brightness of God's glory. Uh, if you remember uh, back when, um, in, in the early history of, uh, of Israel, uh, uh, when the children of Israel had disobeyed God and, and, and rebelled against God, that the, uh, the glory was, was removed. Uh, they used the word Ichabod, Ichabod. As a matter of fact, Ichabod Crane, you know, comes from that same word. Ichabod means the glory has is, is been removed. So, uh, but here the Kavod glory or the presence of God fills the temple. When Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, this is what it says in verses 10 and 11. It says, It came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So you think of the cloud, and, and the cloud was representative as well of the presence of God. Remember when the children of Israel were, were taken out into the wilderness, and, and the Lord told them, I, I will be a, 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 a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Well, if there's a pillar of fire at night, what do you have? You have a cloud as well, a cloud of the smoke, of you know, but it's dealing with the presence of God among you. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Uh, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I, and, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And what did he see? He saw the smoke, knowing that this was the presence of the Lord. But I want you to notice the response to the presence of God that in Kings it says they could not continue ministering because of the presence of God. And the voice of the, of the prophet said, I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm undone. I am totally uh, disintegrating because of being in the presence of this great God of the temple. Again, we need to realize the seriousness of God's judgments and of God's person and of God's presence 
in the judgments of the last days. It should be horrifying to a person who doesn't believe and yet is coming to grips with the very fact that if this is the case, I'm undone. I'm completely not where I need to be with God. Is there any hope? Yes, there is. Accept the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now. And there, therein lies the hope. Because the hope is only in Christ. No man comes to the Father except through Him. And in the last verse of our text, we see a truly sad picture. For we are told that man's access to God has been closed, and now it is time for His judgment to be poured out I read that to you. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power and no one was able to enter the temple. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This refers to something that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, where it says... The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be 120 years. But that's first phrase, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. He's going to have an opportunity no matter what he's done in this life, but there's going to come a time when the door closes. Today, when, when the Lord Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter in and I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Still holds. Well, we read in Matthew chapter 11 where where Jesus said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll 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 quote quote in just a minute. Still open. The way is still open. But you see, the destiny of those living on the earth at this point, at this time, in the future is settled already. No longer will man have access to God as he does today. Those who are living and are saved will enter into the kingdom age with Christ, while those who are living and unsaved will enter into eternity apart from the Lord, eventually in the lake of fire after the kingdom age is over. And so this leads us into the bold judgments of chapter 16, the final judgments of God poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And as we get into these judgments, we are going to see how quickly they come. And the sad thing is that man will have rejected the awesome grace of God and, the, and thus will only see his wrath. But today his arms are still open wide. As I began to quote, I might as well give you the whole verse and passage. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You remember when you came to the Lord, you came to realize something, maybe you haven't thought about it a lot, but... 
It was God who drew you. It was God who brought you because of his mercy to the Lord Jesus. And notice what it says of those who are drawn by God, the Father, to Jesus. He says, and I will raise him up at the last day. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's a wonderful promise. Psalm 18, verse 3 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. You know, this is what we need to do if we haven't done it yet, to call upon the Lord that we might be saved. But yet to call upon him because he's worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Lastly, Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, because there will be a time when he won't be found. Those awesome words of Jeremiah Jeremiah's prophecy when he says the summer is ended the harvest is over and you're not saved but seek the Lord while he may be found because he can still be found today call upon him while he's near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Well, we made it through chapter 15. I hope you're ready to get into chapter 16, because this is going to be quite a ride. So, read it. Ask God for wisdom and prayer, and then be here next week. Don't forget. Don't miss out. Let's learn together and let's take seriously the prophecies about the coming judgments. Don't worry if you have to wear a sandwich board that says the end is near. Just love Jesus and show people that he still saves. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord.